I was interested in how evolution and reinforcement learning could be integrated, whether whether evolution, whether the you know, if it was the case that there were things replicating in the brain, whether that actually could improve machine learning. And we are calling it iPhone. Space model will do zero to sixty in one point nine seconds. As a kind of an Apollo program effort for artificial intelligence. Hey guys, welcome back to Tech Savvy. I'm Miranda Jatilaka. I'm CD Aturali. This is a very special episode of Tech Savvy. We have our first guest ever on the show and uh, we were fortunate enough to have an interview with this really amazing person uh, maybe like a couple of weeks back. So we are excited to bring this episode to you. I'm probably not the best person to introduce him, but just as a formality, he's Dr. Krishanta Fernando. He's a senior research scientist at Google DeepMind. He was here to talk at AI Asia 2018, which happened a few weeks back. So we have to warn you a bit because uh, unfortunately we had some technical issues during the recording of this episode. So at some points of the interview, you might find that the audio quality is a bit low. There's a bit of noise in the background, but still we hope that you will enjoy this episode. Uh, I was born in Sri Lanka. I um, left here when I was about four uh, to England and then I um, sort of started programming, I think, around seven on a ZX81, which is a, a computer which has about 1K of memory. Um, and I used to program in the computer programs from that you bought from a magazine, the games, and uh, uh, did that and learned a bit of basic, uh, you know, with go-to statements and all that stuff. But then I didn't really know what to use programming for for a while. I didn't know what to program. <laughs> so uh, I then, uh, you know, coming from a, a background of having quite a lot of doctors in the family, ended up doing medicine, uh, finished that. Uh, but then I, my friend was doing an a MSc in Sussex in Evolutionary and Adaptive Systems, which is at COGS, this interdisciplinary research unit. Uh, and I became interested in basically this thing called artificial life, uh, which is the study of life as it could be rather than life as it is. Uh, and ended up working through this evolutionary biologist called John Maynard Smith uh, with a, a professor in Hungary called Ursh Sathmari, who they wrote a book together called The Major Transitions in Evolution. And I ended up working in the origin of life, uh, at a postdoc in, in Hungary at the Institute for Advanced Study there on a model called the Chematon, which is a model of the minimal uh, uh, living system, which is a, a metabolism, a boundary, and an informational control system. And it was through working with Ursh that we came up with the idea of Darwinian neurodynamics, which was basically the idea that evolution might take place in the brain, sort of overnight. And we looked at... Uh, mechanisms by which that could happen and we had computational neuroscience models and I suppose it was to study that uh, at an algorithmic level rather than uh, implementation level that I came to DeepMind um, around 2014. So how did you get to DeepMind from your research uh, background? Because um, I was interested in how evolution and reinforcement learning could be integrated whether 
whether evolution, whether the you know, if it was the case that there were things replicating in the brain, whether that actually could improve machine learning. You know, it's one thing to sort of demonstrate that something is possible biologically. That's one yeah. approach. It's another thing to demonstrate that algorithmically it's of use. So that, yeah. so I felt that it was important to address that question. Oh, yeah. they had a website. And it only had one web page at the time. Uh, I think it said DeepMind, and there was an email address. Uh, so I wrote to that, right. <laughs> and I had a few interviews. And um, yeah, and Demis was very keen on integrating evolution with uh, what DeepMind was doing, even at that early stage. So, right. First, uh, what did you start working uh, on at DeepMind? Um, well, I, I worked on initially evolution, uh, trying to look at what evolutionary methods could do on their own. Uh, and then I basically moved into combining evolutionary methods with reinforcement learning. Uh, so I felt that would be a more powerful approach. So one of the things with evolution is that it works in when you've got a, a small number of parameters compared to a large number of parameters. Although recently Uber and uh, OpenAI got more used where they have evolved uh, the same models as uh, reinforcement learning tracks. Uh, it's almost data efficient as reinforcement learning, but it is possible, especially with things like natural evolution strategies, uh, which are a variant of these strategies where you don't have a specific representation of the population. We just parameterize the distribution, we change the mean of the variance of the exploration distribution. But, um, sorry. I initially was just working purely with evolution, looking at how that could uh, compare. I sort of found that, um, so we have, there's sort of, I found that a little bit um, uh, unproductive. I, I, I thought it would be better to try to mix these two methods, evolution methods, and uh, reinforcement learn to exploit the benefits of each. And I think over time, many people have done that in very many different ways. So the initial work trying to evolve the uh, architectures of neural networks, and uh, there's a publication on that, and some of my colleagues and I um, uh, evolved uh, architectures, and that's recently been a bit of a uh, sort of cottage industry. People doing that, like Mr. Um, Klein, uh, Google Brain, other people. Uh, there are several papers now involving uh, neural architectures, and um, there's another bit of work. Um, Convolution by evolution that we produced. This is where we have a small, we took uh, Ken Stanley's idea of acquisition of pattern producing networks. These are meant to be a sort of model of development. So it's a little network where you feed in the xy coordinates of a, the neurons in a bigger network, the little network outputs the, the weight between those two neurons. Now, so you feed in all the possible uh, weight coordinates to output. Uh, neural coordinates to get the weights. And then you have the big network. Then that network can um, uh, train, and the errors can be back propagated into the small network that generated the big network. I'm also quite surprised that this idea works. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does. And then um, so we managed to get something that was beautiful. So we call it convolution by evolution because the small network actually discovered very regular receptive fields. Where Weight matrices and curves, effectively, uh, the big network. Effectively, we discovered um, to move a little patch around uh, over the um, image in the big network. 
So they sort of discovered basically convolutional neural yeah. networks inside, yeah. yeah. feed forward neural networks. So that was quite beautiful. Anyway, the idea was then um, simplified and made much better uh, by my colleague David Haar, who's at the Google Brain, yeah. who just took the evolution bit out of the little network and then called it hypernets. And that was a much more popular implementation. So he just didn't even need evolution in the, uh, the small network. That actually achieved state-of-the-art results in um, various um, domains using the small network to encode weights on LSTM. So that's a nice example of how the sort of proof of principle was extended. Um, That's that's pretty good. Um, Then I got into the idea of path, which is uh, a long process of development. Um, So this was the idea that if you have a giant neural network, imagine Thousand times the parameters that we usually have. Um, how can we train them? So one idea we came up with was that maybe you could have a network which um, the, where the user has a population of pathways for them. The, 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 each pathway determines which subset of the network is trained. It's just, but it's still one network. Um, so you evolve the pathways and train those pathways. Then you do binary tournaments between pathways. So try to pathways out of this one with a lower loss, then it uh, um, the parameters don't get destroyed, but the reference yeah. pathway gets destroyed, and this the good one mutates, uh, replicates and mutates. So you have a variant you may have as a bypass uh, of the good pathway. So the pathways eventually converge to training uh, the sort of parameters that are good on that task. And then what you what I do is to fix those parameters, you don't have to do this, but I fix those parameters and then trick Reinitialize the sort of pathways and train them on other Atari game. And I found that uh, on average, you learn that second Atari game faster because the system learned um, to reuse the fixed uh, parameters from the first game. Um, it wasn't a massive effect, but it was a, a definitely an effect. And then I've actually tried doing lots of work on that since. And I noticed that one of the important things was that the um, in a given layer, I had both normal uh, linear things with non-linearities, but I also had skip connections and residuals. So the pathway was able to basically de- determine whether to use a skip or a residual or a normal layer. So it actually did kind of embedded architecture search in this being uh, set up, where you weren't throwing away all the parameters right there. Yeah. So that's a quite a lovely thing. Sometimes it's really hard to get this to converge. So how long it took and how hard it is. So I tried it with, it took a while, it took about six months to a year to get it to work. And I tried it with simpler, simple things like just MNIST. Actually I tried it with, um, so everything you should try with MNIST. So basically I tried it with, for example, uh, binary classification. So I showed it fives and sevens nines and eights, there are lots of possibilities. And then saw how well it transferred to like eight versus four. So you know, if it's learned to distinguish eight from seven, does that, it's found a pathway, does it help them? Who faster than to distinguish uh, seven from eight? Yeah, sorry, to the, the eight from nine. So tried it with that, and then I extended it to um, Atari. 
So I think um, it's really important in research to have a rapid turnover of uh, algorithms. So you need to be trying with very small problems where you can find out whether it's worked in about 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you have to wait, I personally am very patient. If it does, then I put some more effort into it. That, it's either that, or I have a strong theoretical belief that uh, some strong bias that it should work, and then I put lots of effort into it, and and that can be a little bit of a waste of time sometimes. But you know, it could not work for three months, and then it never works. This happens as well. I'd say, uh, I mean, there's different ways of doing it. I mean, sometimes you just know something should work, and then you put effort into that just to get it working. I, I often don't work like that. <laughs> I um, yeah, I, I tend to. But I mean, that's it's nice to be in that position where where one can do that do that much exploration. Um, yeah, but you have to work. I mean, okay. So another major thing is just talking to people to understand 
because there are sometimes lots of little reasons why things don't work. <laughs> you know, you haven't normalized something or it's not the right yeah. representation of the yeah. inputs. There's so yeah. many little tricks that um, uh, where an idea, you know, mm. could work in theory and it just needs a little bit of, you know, you haven't got the right architecture. You needed two layers instead of one or, or you know, there are, so it's, it's worth being able to talk to people that have practical uh, understanding of neural networks to get some advice on that. I'm very lucky that I can do that. From our little experience, we know that s some of these things are very much—it's very much important to understand the practical aspects of, like, like the, the actual implementation, like the architecture, maybe a one single parameter, the value it should have, like, yeah, yeah, these are the things. Wow. Like. So that reminds me. So that there was a, a pa I was able to work with uh, uh, Max Yaderberg and other people to develop, um, uh, helped out a little bit in developing uh, population-based training. Mm. So this is the idea of. Um, uh, using evolution to evolve the hyperparameters of a neural network for training, uh, but not throwing away the parameters while you're doing that. So you have like 20 copies of the network, you train them all up, then you do binary tournaments between those copies. The one with the lowest loss overwrites the one with the, uh, sorry, yes, overwrites the one with the highest loss. That is, you copy the parameters over, but then you mutate and copy over the hyperparameters. So you're not throwing away all that training. Uh, compared to doing a grid search. So it's like Lamarckian evolution of parameters and Darwinian evolution of the hyperparameters. Um, and that's that's being used very widely. Um, uh, yeah, it's extremely useful in developing new algorithms. If you can get about, and I think this afternoon when we'll, we do our te technical thing, I think we'll try and maybe implement that for, the, for this RL setup um, we've got. We may not finish it, but uh, let's just start it, let's just start doing that, yeah. So, uh, since we were talking about research, I, I'm more interested in about, like, probably for listeners, knowing that how important it is to focus on fundamental research, especially, like, uh, the why, maybe the why the all these companies are putting a lot of effort into fundamental research, why they recruit scientists to work on these problems, uh, the importance of it, especially for a country like Sri Lanka, why the industry also needs to understand the importance of working with probably academia and focusing a little bit more on research. Mm. Yes, because there is a tendency, I suppose, in countries like Sri Lanka for the work to be applied. Mm. So you take some local problem like dengue or whatever, mm. and then you apply known methods to try and solve that problem. There's definitely a role for that. Uh, but I think there should also be, uh, so that's obviously, that's often quite industry driven maybe, but there's also a role for fundamental sort of blue sky research simply because I think that helps people understand the algorithms better. So, so then they become better practitioners even on the applied side, right? Um, that's, and also, I think, um, uh, machine learning at this stage, th there is still a lot of exploration to be done. Uh, there's so many different t techniques available. And we haven't tried all the you know, combinations and there are, <laughs> uh, um, there are sort of fundamental insights that are still lacking. So it's not just an engineering task, it's a scientific task and anybody. And I, I don't think it requires large data sets uh, to, to come up with um, uh, n new insights such as the, looking at all the work on intrinsic motivation that's happened recently is one domain, or structuring exploration. Um, I don't think that, yeah, things like issues about hierarchical reinforcement learning, these, these kinds of things 
um, uh, still need a lot of theoretical work on them. Um, so meta-learning is one big thing. So I was helping to organise the meta-learning conference at NIPS uh, along with some last, year. last year, along with some colleagues. Um, and, uh, and that was very natural for us because evolution and reinforcement learning is, is a kind of meta-learning setup. Yeah. Uh, so we had some discussions about what meta-learning is. Uh, so recently um, uh, there was a there's a paper where um, uh, Sergei Levine and um, God, I've forgotten, I've forgotten <laughs> the other fine. author's name now. Is where we used evolution to uh, initialize the 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 initial parameters of the neural network uh, before training. So we took a distribution of tasks, the same set of tasks as this other paper on uh, meta learning, um, and uh, we used evolution to initialize the parameters and then use normal learning. And we found basically something called the Baldwin effect, which is a principle in evolution, uh, where um, ev where learning guides evolution. Um, so that was very interesting. And, and recently, uh, not DeepMind, but another um, uh, set of researchers have come up with this idea of evolutionary reinforcement learning, which is where you have a population of policies that are evolving in the standard way and a reinforcement learning algorithm, and the population uh, generates uh, experiences, which are then put into the replay buffer of the RL algorithm. And the RL algorithm uh, then puts policies back into the mm. uh, evolving population. Yeah, yeah. So this does two kinds of exploration. Um, so I think we've we've only scratched the surface of how evolution and reinforcement yeah. learning can be combined. Yeah, yeah. When when we look at some of these ideas, after after when we look at them some some of these are pretty obvious when <laughs> when it is published somewhere and also some of these are not so obvious uh, we sometimes we are very surprised how this person came up with this idea so it's i think it's a it's a mix of things all good ideas are obvious after they've been uh, yeah uh, i think that is the case right? yeah um, you kick yourself and think why didn't <laughs> i think of that uh, deviating a little bit from that uh, one thing I would like to know is like to do research especially again in a country like Sri Lanka uh, other than the self-motivation what should be the ideal reward for a person to in be involved in maybe fundamental research so we are actually thinking of ways to encourage more high to produce yeah, high yeah. quality research yeah. and get it published at maybe yeah. top tier conferences. So in the, in the meeting today um, there's been a discussion about this um, so one idea is because in, in Sri Lanka it seems that in the university uh, sector there isn't much of a focus on research because just because of people are strapped for time and resources right and teaching is so um, important so and also in 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 you know my experience is that as a lecturer I was lecturing for a couple of years at Queen Mary that if you get grants then you, your teaching load goes down um, you know, you have more resources to buy equipment and to have PhD students. So you get, if you win a grant, you get PhD students, you get postdocs, right? So the lecturers are competing for those resources. So this is like an evolutionary system, right? Um, uh, and that doesn't seem to happen here. There isn't a comp is that right? There's no competition for, is there, co how do uh, lecturers compete for PhD resources? I might not be the best person to... Okay. I, I'm also not very aware of that. Right, right. 
So it'd be interesting to find out and work, you know, and, and, and because so that getting research off the ground at universities might be hard because of the resources. So one option is to have this kind of centre of excellence for machine learning research, which may be a sort of virtual centre of excellence, but... But again, my argument there is, especially in the machine learning and AI, you don't need a lot of resources to at least begin with. No, you don't. I mean, yeah. you can use Google Colab, yeah. which gives you one GPU. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? But you can only use it for 12 hours, apparently. Yeah, but that is but also still, that's fine. Still pretty good. You can optimize for yeah. that one. Yeah. Uh, but I think there needs to be a little bit of mindset change as well. Like, people need to, like, a, it can be even called as a different thinking. Yes, it's about questioning and disagreeing, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, and the discussions. What what I really don't see here is like the genuine discussions around these topics. People are like doing their own thing. But what I've experienced uh, in the other parts of the world is they are Having critical yeah, yeah. but friendly uh, exactly. interaction. So that's the notion of psychological safety. So <laughs> for a group to work, yeah. um, this is like well known in management now, isn't it? That, that you have to be able to disagree with each other um, in a friendly way. I think that is, uh, even in our education system, I don't think it is very much encouraged at the moment, but hopefully it could change. Mm. But I think we need to start at some from some point and keep on improving from there. Mm. Mm. I think there are a lot of aspects for us to understand. But... Uh, uh, maybe the maybe the immediate thing we can do is like a focus a little bit more on the reward or the right, motivation. Let's do, let's do that. Okay. Um, so, okay. So there could be um, prizes for <laughs> uh, international publications at top tier conferences, mm, and these mm. could be funded by both government and business. Mm, mm. You know, significant uh, prizes mm. uh, with the name of a given the name of a famous Sri Lankan researcher. Give me yeah. some names of some famous... Who, who are some famous Sri Lankan researchers, actually? I, I, I don't want to mention names because it can be a little bit biased. My personal biases would be there, so let's not name okay. anyone. Okay. And I because have my personal opinion. Do we not need well. someone to name the prize after? Yeah, there are actually some prizes. Like, at, at every university, there are prizes. I see, I see. Um, named after... It doesn't need to be machine learning, like... Um, yeah, yeah, so... I would call these people like definitely they are senior, even though I'm not sure how. They might even be dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, it's it's totally okay to use a dead uh, famous person. Typically, that is the case. I think as far as <laughs> most I know. people are dead. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Um. But again, at least to me, like even getting a publication at a top tier conference that itself should be a pretty good prize. Well, but it should be yes. But yes. It, but is it? You. That's yeah. the that's the problem I think. So we need to yes. create that, uh, and people I don't think a lot of people even know about these things and how how these things are evaluated elsewhere. So I think we need to create that awareness as well, mm. and hopefully with efforts like uh, the the event yesterday and today. So we all will also be able to create this platform between experts like you, where you will be able to contribute. Oh yeah, that's that, that was one thing that was discussed. The idea that uh, I mean, I'd be very happy to try to uh, help out in um, sort of thinking about research projects and stuff. Uh, definitely, that would be a reasonable uh, investment. Of, uh, it wouldn't be much time, I think, for people to like present possible things, and we can have a uh, like an hour-long virtual uh, discussion about yeah. research topics, right? Every now and again, every few months or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So. 
that'll be that'll be I'd re- be very happy to help mm. out like that. Yeah. I think it is quite important like both to get the exposure as well as that high level direction of like and and also I think one of the biggest problems we have is like there are very little people who are at the cutting edge who understand the state of the art even in their field. So there's a in my opinion there's a huge gap between uh their understanding their knowledge and the what is actually happening at the moment. I suppose one thing to do is just to encourage leadership so getting people who can actually teach uh machine learning and giving them resources mm. like helping them you know go to conferences and so forth so that they can actually mm. themselves become local leaders mm. um uh, experts themselves mm. yes yeah okay i think uh, that is that is a that is good set of recommendations suggestions hopefully we'll be able to see a lot of progress hopefully uh but it can be very slow sure, sure. as as long as we set the right trajectory at least yes. we'll be making yes. progress towards that direction so the probably the last thing i would like to go back to the the ai or the deep mind's focus is purely on artificial general intelligence like i we would like to probably our listeners would be very much interested in knowing what is not necessarily a definition but uh where are we heading how how uh close it is or how far mm, away mm. it is and what are the benefits so i say artificial general intelligence is being able to it's basically what a child has so a child when it learns uh tasks a b and c becomes better at doing task d in a very general way uh d doesn't need to be trivially uh from the same distribution as a b and c but it can be quite different and still um uh the child can learn it faster um we don't really understand how that kind of transfer learning is possible what's needed for that um so if you take the 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 dqn on atari for example it doesn't become faster at learning the uh a, 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 the second atari game if it learns the first so um that's one aspect of artificial general intelligence i suppose another aspect is that agents um create their own problems so there's been a lot of work on solving problems here whereas in for real intelligence you have to create your own problems as well so that's one aspect another aspect of it um so yes i think that's what agi that's how i think of agi so some of the concerns like the from the the mass especially is like they are they are somewhat concerned about like once we solve the artificial general intelligence would that be a positive thing or a negative thing um i i think we are yet to define these things and there are a lot of problems to be solved even before that there are like the problems like the machine bias these are i think more near future problems we might face as we uh, keep on getting ai technologies integrated to our lives talking about uh, the uh, approach of deep mind towards agi we saw reinforcement learning and then with alphago and then we saw uh, alphago 0 where it learned by itself what's next for deep mind towards that goal of agi um yeah, hope you're okay with sharing that yeah. well, I'm, uh, <laughs> I, i'm i can i can definitely answer the first question which is that um i think a l- i think the discussion about safety is one that uh everybody is responsible for engaging in especially uh people i mean both people in um with expert knowledge and uh people without i think we all have to have a discussion about that 
Um, and we're actually publishing papers on that subject of AI safety, looking at under what circumstances a reinforcement learning algorithm will have its values aligned to the designer, things like this. And so there's, there's actually theoretical work on that uh, kind of question. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we, we all have to discuss those questions as a community. Um, the way I justify encouraging the local efforts, the way I justify it to myself is that we also need to understand like every part of the world, like uh, all these people need to have some understanding about what is going on because these things will be very much integrated to our lives and only we know what are our problems. So we are the best people to represent our problems in this in this um yeah so yeah and for that i suppose it's useful that uh it's our responsibility to help people know what the the capabilities of ai now are and um so it's difficult to predict the future and how long agi will take i don't think uh such predictions mean much in in the sense that they're they're there are sort of still unanswered scientific questions you know uh it would be like asking um i don't know um, uh, Ptolemy, how long he'd think it took before we understood the proper dynamics of the solar system. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's difficult. Yeah, I I also think that there are a lot of questions even before defining certain things like artificial general intelligence. Um, okay, I think that's a very interesting conversation. Oh, thanks very much for inviting me. Yeah, uh, and we yeah. are we are actually honored to have you as a guest as well as. Thank you very much for accepting our invitation to be a part Thanks of all these sessions happening yesterday and today yep. and hopefully in the next couple of days mm -hmm. as well. And hopefully we'll be able to talk to you in future as well mm. and you'll be and engaging. And I look forward to our technical stuff this afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Today, yes. uh, today is uh, 8th yep. November um, <laughs> because we'll be publishing this later on. Uh, okay, I think anything to add? Yeah, I think we had to give a shout out to Slascom and uh, Jeevan and everyone who has organized this uh, AI uh, convention and uh, everyone who is involved. I really appreciate and admire Jeevan's vision to uh, promote this type of technology, especially in a country like Sri Lanka. I personally was not expecting uh, that type of engagement yeah. from, from uh, the top. Yeah. So it's very encouraging to see that even to host someone like you, we didn't have that capacity. Uh, these are very good enablers for us to do a lot more things in this space. <laughs>